Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Corey Rosen, and you're listening to the Story Podcast that I have on a super awesome guest, Mr. Austin Green. Austin was born, raised, and currently resides in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, often feeling as though he was in the middle of nowhere. He imagined he would have had to travel to L.A. or New York to make his dreams come true, but he has found himself increasingly satisfied within the Lancaster or Pennsylvania area and DMV market. Austin has over 30 credits to his name between film, TV, and commercials, along with many years of improv, comedy, and theater experience. In his free time, he is the lead singer-songwriter of his four-piece band, The Mimic, and most importantly, he is a husband and proud father of four. Austin, how are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really great. excited. You are a actor, comedian, and musician. That's a triple threat if I've ever heard it. I think so. Well, I, so the, the problem was with the comedian. So I have a weird thing with titles, right? Mm. Like to, to say that I'm anything. It's that kind of imposter syndrome thing. I think a lot of people struggle with that, to say that you're something. Um, but as far as the comedian part goes, because I did stand up for, I don't know, like two years, as much as I could. And I don't do stand-up very often anymore, but I think of myself as a comedian still kind of in like the, like the Charlie Chaplin way or like kind of the old school, because they used to call them that. So people right. used to be called comedians, but I don't do stand-up anymore. What, what do you think that is? Oh, um, I think I became obsessed numerically with the amount of time I would have to put in to get as good as I wanted to get. Mm. And in this area... I, I also calculated how much gas I would have to spend, how much annually. Like, I calculated everything to be like, if I wanted to do three open mics a night, I mean, a week, um, which generally every comedian, if you listen to any comic podcast, they're like, go to the open mic every single night. I'm like, okay, if I blew my back out, I'd be able to do three a week. And then I calculated how long it would take to get an hour of good quality content out of that because you have to go over the same material so much. And I was like, oh, I think this is in this area, it just doesn't make sense for me. Yeah, budgeting is important. People mm -hmm. learn how to budget. Um, so, what was your uh, main stand up comedy routine? Oh, I mean, I was ridiculous. I think I, think I was naturally, so I, I mean, this, I, I would say that out of the things that I've experimented with between acting and music um, and other entertainment things, Comedy comes most naturally to me. Um, so I was very, like, obsessed with Norm MacDonald and uh, kind of a lot of these, like, odd, not super popular comedians. I'd get really invested in those styles. And I'd experiment with, a, with those types of styles a lot when I was on stage. I know this sounds very vague because um, <laughs> I don't want to say, like, a routine or anything like that. And I don't remember a lot of the stuff I used to say. But... Uh, I think also I hated saying a joke more than once. Hmm. And I was like, well, that's the job. Right, of course. So I don't like saying the same joke over and over again. And so I'd go up every night and I would sometimes I'd go up and improvise and I'd bomb all the time, which is what you're supposed to do. Right. And um, but I just noticed it wasn't healthy for me in comparison to acting, in comparison to music. Both of those feel healthy when I do them. And with comedy, I didn't feel healthy when I was doing it, like mentally or Physically, you know, I'd be on the road all the time. So then I'd eat crappy food. Just all of it was not healthy for me. I didn't feel like. So what, what got you into music, theater, 
when did all that start? Did it all start as a child or did you kind of grow into it? Yeah, I, I remember writing songs as a little kid. Like I would have songs in my head when I was little. And they would just be, and I would think they were somebody else's songs, but then I'd never know what they were. And I'd be like, who wrote that song? And it'd turn out that it was just a song that kind of formulated in my head. So that's how I started. I started writing those down. Probably, I remember I was, I was really little. I was like elementary school age. Really? And I would, I, these songs would just, yeah, and they'd be really simple. Of course. And I think actually it was because I think I, I used to go to church as a kid. And I think it was because I would hear the music that they would play. And I think that did have some sort of influence on me as far as just like, I think because the music at that church that I went to as a kid was so kind of basic, they didn't do anything crazy. Like you go to some churches and they're fun and they're right. big. And this one was like, not that. So it was very, and then I would always go, why did they choose this chord? Why didn't they choose this sound? Like, I want to hear this sound here. <laughs> so I'd hear these church songs and I'd be like, I wish they'd put this sound at this spot. And I think that's how it kind of churned yeah, in me early on. Definitely how I started. It's like, really? well, I don't, I, di- I disagree with that. <laughs> I disagree with this choice that they've made. But, uh, that's, I, I mean, that's a large part of being a composer. It's like, I, um, all the times I hear, I hear, I'm obviously with this podcast, I'm inundated with, mm-hmm. with music and especially when it comes up to the music reviews and the album reviews we're doing. Right. Uh, short plug for that one. Be sure to uh, apply for that if you wish. Yes. Um, it's there's a lot of sounds that I disagree with. <laughs> <laughs> I, I disagree with the sound you chose. I think if I can predict it, that's what upsets me. If it, that's that's. <laughs> sometimes that's I want I want to. Sometimes I want to be able to predict it, mm-hmm. and then I want you to surprise me. So it's like predict, make it predictable, and then surprise, and then make it predictable, and then surprise. Or that's fair, yeah. You know, so there has to be. Otherwise, there's no point in listening because I'm like, well, then if I can predict the formula from the top, I don't have to listen to the end. That was always a magic trick that I had as a kid. Yeah, uh, I would listen to stuff on the radio, and it was it was especially with country songs because they're super predict- mm-hmm. super predictable. Oh yeah, uh, yeah like yeah. melodic melodic wise, it would be a challenge for me. I people would uh, pick up random random songs like. Uh, have you ever heard this one before? No. And they'll put it on and then I'll start singing along to it like just fine. Right. Because I could predict the melody. It was so it was so easy. Right. Like with pop songs or, or whatever, with like, you know, the one, four, five, six per chord progressions that right. everyone uses. Mm-hmm. Uh it would be so easy for me just to pick up the melody. And, and whenever somebody surprised me, I'd be like, Oh, that was cool. Right. Yeah. yeah. I think music and poetry, like I think of everything in terms of poetry and music. So whenever I'm looking at my acting work, I'm thinking of it through a poetic lens in some way, like because I've been writing lyrics for so long since I was a kid. And I have I have papers still from when I was really young when, you know, um, I would write lyrics and they're so bad. They're so and they're so it's amazingly bad, but it's impressive to me that I did anything really. Uh, but but still, it's like the lyrics are ridiculous. I had this song about a warrior. It's called Warrior. It was like 1980s, like very <laughs> hair metal. And I had a whole music video that I wrote out for it. And this was going to happen in like seventh grade. And the drummer I have now in my band, I tried to get a band together with him in seventh grade. And I brought this song. Like I had a meeting at lunch. And I laid this paper down. I was like, all right, <laughs> this is a song about a warrior. It was like a warrior, like a lady dressed up like she was strong. I don't know. It was like very Xena warrior princess. 
<laughs> but uh, and I wrote this ridiculous like '80s ballad to accompany it. Um, it's just yeah. So there's a lot of terrible stuff. But I think because I experimented so wildly, I mean, I'd write that and then I'd write a rap song as a kid. Like whatever I was into, I would just try to replicate. And I think now I have my own style, and it's just because I've replicated every other style that I can finally be like, oh, now I have my own voice. Yeah, and to any songwriter or aspiring one out there, you got to write a million songs first to get your I guess so. your good ones. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned as a comedian, your job is to bomb. It's, <laughs> your job is to bomb, yeah. It's quite literally the job of any actor or uh, musician as well. I'd argue any profession, you have to bomb at it to be mm-hmm. good at it. Right. You got to figure it out. Yeah. You're not going to write your first song, granted there are child you know, prodigies or whatever, but your first song yeah. isn't going to be the greatest piece. You should look back at it and be like, oh gosh, what yeah. was he doing? Not all of us are Mozart. I think whenever, um, like, to, I think when I'm too proud of work that I did a year ago, to me that's an indication that I haven't grown enough. Mm. So I, I often like, excuse me, I burped. <laughs> but I, like, I saw a video I was in about a year ago and I was like, man, I was like so proud of it. And then I realized, I'm like, oh, that's probably not good. That probably means I should like work a little bit harder. Yeah. You know what I mean? You should be able to look back at stuff. There's, granted, there are some stuff you can be proud of. And, and yeah. that's that's totally fine. But if you're looking back at your stuff, like, like the first things you did and said, oh, that was awesome. Right. Maybe you should look into like what, 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 what you should be able to critique yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. For sure. Right? I think actually the first so I guess to get back to your your one question, because I, I always go off. Um, I digress. Uh, no worries. But there was, uh, I, I, I used to hang out at this art co-op called Waldo's. I still I still hang out there sometimes. It's in Gettysburg. It, you, if you go through Gettysburg, there's a street called Stratton Street. And there's an old, like, uh, it almost looks like a warehouse. It, you could see that it used to be a garage, and it says Waldo on the windows. So that's that's the old place. It used to have maybe five years ago, seven years ago, probably now actually. Well, uh, they would have bands and stuff play there, and this is like small town Gettysburg. Like we didn't really have much going on at that time, and they'd have bands and they'd have like these drinks that they'd make, like sodas, like handmade sodas, and um, coffees and stuff like that. And it was a place where all these young people were hanging out and they weren't getting in trouble and they weren't like, and it was so cool. And I kind of came from a troubled background a little bit. So um, I needed just the cleanest people around me that I could find. And they were all strangers to me, but it was, I was really attracted to it. And um, anyway, that was the first time I ever did improv was at this place. They had like an improv night for maybe six weeks or something that they, it was just these people that had experimented with improv a little bit. And um, I created, like, I noticed when I walked in that they were doing that. They said, oh, uh, they're back there doing improv. You can join if you want. And I was like, oh, I did not <laughs> join because like, I felt like if I just walked in and be like, hey, I'm joining, you know, they'd mm-hmm. be, like, annoyed with me right away. So instead what I did was I kind of put on a character and I walked up and I acted really insecure and, like, I just kind of hung out near them, like, really close because I was like 18, so I was really weird, you know, I'd just do something. Right, of course. So I just kind of hung out near them really closely. And eventually, my goal was that I'd make them feel so awkward with my presence that they'd invite me. And it worked. They invited me right over. And I said, oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. So then I, I came up, and then I, 
I started doing improv with them. I was going off the cuff. I didn't know these guys at all, so I felt very free. And I, I, I kind of exhibited some natural talent. It just worked out. And years later, I was friends with one of those guys. And years later, it was the first time I met him. And he said, uh, he said, I thought you were one of the college improvisers coming to show off. So it was like the sweetest thing because it was years later. I never knew right. he felt that way. I always thought I made a fool of myself that night. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But sometimes you think you make a fool of yourself and you didn't. And sometimes you didn't know that you made a fool of yourself and you did. <laughs> yeah, it's always, it's always what makes you stay up at night. Yeah, yeah. So he thought I was trolling him and I was showing up to like be That's like because they have a college improv team, you know. Mm. Um, in that area. So he thought I was doing that to troll them. But that was an indication to me that I was like, oh, I guess I should go down this path. Like, So that was how I got started in improv. There's an improv theater in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania called the Harrisburg Improv Theater. And um, I, after that, uh, a guy named Daniel Collars, who is a friend of mine, he's used to be in a band called the Blue Collar Special in Gettysburg. And now he's in a band called Two to Fly with some other friends of mine. And um, he said, hey, there's these improvisers I know in Harrisburg. You should go give them a, you should check them out. He's like, I feel like you'd be really good at that. And I said, oh, okay, great, thanks. So I started doing that, and then I found out that they had an independent theater musical production happening in Gettysburg, so that was like a year later. So I did both of those things, and just slowly over time, I just did more and more. I know I'm really telling a convoluted story. Oh, here, well, I mean, that's all part of it, isn't it? Yeah. So most stories are complicated. Yeah, <laughs> it's so jumbled, like jumbled in my head. But, um, but yeah, I mean that's, it's weird because once you get the bug for something, like if you really like something, all you have to do is just get a taste, and then you don't have to worry about commitment at that point. Mm. As far as I can tell, if you're really into it. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, it, it's the same conversation. If you love your job, you never work a day in your life. Right. 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 So how did you go from theater into? Uh, Acting like on like on TV, film? TV, yeah, yeah, the film. Oh, so that was that was very gradual. That took a long time because I did this this production. It was written by two friends that I knew. They went to Messiah College and they met each other at Messiah College and they wrote a musical together. They studied theater in, in college, and it was called A Cup of God. So when I got out of, I didn't get out of improv. I was doing improv at that time. I don't know. I think I maybe just took their level one and like a character development class. So that was like six weeks for the first level, eight weeks maybe, and then character development, which was another six weeks. And um, I auditioned for this play. It was called A Cup of God, and it was like about a dystopian world and the coffee underground. <laughs> it was really, it was, it was like a cute musical. It was really interesting and cool. So that was the first time I got to do theater. And... Um, it's funny, we were talking about looking back at stuff and being too proud of it. I watched back some of the videos of us rehearsing and going through our scenes, and it was funny. I had this youthful excitement about being in something that I had never done before and fully committing and being kind of young enough and naive enough to really give in to whatever identity I wanted to be because, like, when you're that, like when you're like eighteen, nineteen, you don't. Most people don't have like a catalyzed identity yet, mm -hmm. so you can kind of be whatever. You're like, well, I'm I'm now a guy with long hair, that's me now, and I wear these types of boots. Yep. And so I I was going through that stage where I was like, oh, what if I'm this guy? What if I'm this guy? And um, 
but you can see that youthful energy when I watch back videos from that production where I was like, I'm not that guy anymore, but it's cool. I'm like, I'm kind of impressed with my performance there. Whereas years after that performance, I have 15 embarrassing performances yep. in between where it's almost like when you start learning, you get worse. When you start learning a new thing, you just get worse and worse and worse because mm-hmm. you have to figure out all the ways not to do it. You know, <laughs> so no, I, I'm with you there. Once, it, like, there are so many people that are amazing musicians but never learned, don't even know what they're doing, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's incredible when, when you put limits on yourself, how uh, the learning curve works, right? At that point, you, uh, you can be super good, then really bad, and then roll. Oh, mm-hmm. There you go, you're sore, yeah. And you have to go through all of these, like, you have to figure out what all your weaknesses are. Yeah. And then you have to, you're like, I guess I have to address these. So then you go through like a few years of addressing all of your issues so. and just being like, oh, okay, now I just have to be terrible for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And you have to leave your talent behind and then come back and return to it at some point. Um, I feel like now I, I got into film because there was uh, a festival called the Vid Jam, uh, like Vid Jam Film Festival. And they do it in Lancaster and they do it in Harrisburg. They still do it. In fact, it's coming up. I believe it was this last weekend hmm. that they were filming for maybe next weekend's Vid Jam in Lancaster, I believe. I could be wrong about that, but you can look into it. V-I-D-G-A-M-J-A-M. <laughs> um, but I was I met two guys in my improv classes because I had taken many improv classes after those first couple. And one guy named Sam Miller and another guy named Dan. And um, they started this Vid Jam Festival. So they were like, hey, do you want to be on my team for this Vid Jam thing? I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. I'm so excited. I've always wanted to be on film and all this. So that was, what, 2018, 2017, and 20, or 2018, I think. Might have been 2017. Wow. <laughs> so it's been a while. And um, Oh, yeah, I guess that is five years ago. Yeah, that's wild doesn't feel that long no so that's when I started getting into to film but basically what I did was I was just trying to earn my stripes so I was like just anytime there was an opportunity I tried to get in front of the camera and I took a, a class with Brad Hawkins who mm. you've had on this podcast before and that was really helpful and I met a lot of friends through there and um, that helped me really you know just think about like auditions and how to go through that process and you know, how to play to another character and just all that type of stuff. Um, so I got through his, I think it was 10 weeks. And um, I just kept doing as many films as I possibly could. I was, I would go to the VidJam events and I'd meet people and I'd be like, I liked your video. Can I be in your next one? They'd be like, yeah. And I'd say that to like every video that I liked. And then next thing you know, I was in like four four of the videos at one of the vid jams like back to back because I was just trying as hard as I could to be in everything that I possibly could, just getting the screen time, um, which means that there's a lot of videos of me acting poorly. Yeah, out there, which is I'm okay with. Um, I have them all starts. saved. Yeah, I have yeah. them all saved. It's terrible to watch. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, because I see myself and I'm like, oh man, what was I thinking? But um, I wouldn't say that I felt comfortable on camera until. We shot a movie two years ago called After Sophia, and I was the main character, and it was a feature length. And really, That's yeah, cool. and it's still in post production, but um, it was 
it was the first time I had the chance to be on set every day for long hours and to be the main focus. So every day I knew I needed to know like 10 pages of lines or something like that. And I was really lazy about it because I'd never had to do something like that. And I think my life was just hectic at the time. Uh, my son was already born. So um, I, I didn't dedicate myself as much as I should have looking back to the lines. But I didn't know how to at that time mm-hmm. as well as I do now. Um, but what it made me really good at was learning lines quickly and then um, learning them quickly. And the only way that you can do that is by understanding the story underneath and then connecting it between the subtext and the actual text and, mm-hmm. and living it out. So I learned, like, it, I watched the movie, pieces of it, and I can see myself getting better as an actor through the course of that movie. So it's really cool to me to watch myself be like, just no longer making certain mistakes anymore and just being involved in the scene fully. What mistakes were you making? Oh, um, try to think of an example. It's obvious when I'm watching it for myself, but it's hard to articulate sometimes. Um, well, I'll give you an example. Like, um, when I say a line, I don't think of the line and then say it. That's a mistake. At least through my process, one of the things I do is that it's, it's, I memorize the lines around mine and I memorize my lines, but I memorize them as like a narrative flow. Right. And I don't memorize them. I, I, I either will memorize them phonetically. So I will kind of like no emotion have them phonetically memorized. So they're like within me. Gotcha. And then what I do is I kind of forget them. And then what I do is I memorize kind of the beats of the scene. It's like clearly this is like, mm-hmm. it's like the scene is going boom, 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 yep. boom. There's like a musical element to it. And then I memorize the subtext. And that's the most important thing is like, it's not, I don't memorize so much by the time I show up on set. It's not so much the words that I'm saying. It's what my character is thinking that makes it come out. Yeah. And I have to feel it. And if I don't, it, the way that I feel it is I'm, it, especially in a scene where it's like me talking to a person, they say something, I hear what they say, and then I memorize the part of me hearing what they say and, and like I memorize a feeling. Sometimes I'll use substitutes for my own life or I will um, have specific words that I say to myself over and over in my head whenever they say it. I'm like, you can't do that to me. You can't do that to me. You can't do that to me. And then the line might not have anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. But that's just, I say that line because it brings out a feeling in me, and then I say my line. So I'm like, you, like in my head, right, I might yeah, be saying, you're making you can't that, that facial expression, you're having that uh, inflection in your, in your voice that mm-hmm. you're angry or whatever. Yeah. It like, comes out through that line. Yeah. It's like I have to put up a boundary. I mean, maybe the line is just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like you're, you're passing a boundary in my head. I'm thinking, well, they're trying, what are they trying to do to me? But the, the line has to be emotionally charged. You know what I mean? So whatever line I have within me has to be emotionally charged in my own life. And then a line gets pushed out. So I don't really think of the line and say it. I feel the emotion. And then a, there's a certain pressure that builds up that pushes the line out. It so that's a good delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's ideally what, what I go for. I mean, it doesn't always work. But I, I put if I put all of my time in, like if I really dedicate myself to it, it works. And it's amazing. I had, I, I had, it took years to learn that. It took like eight years to, <laughs> to learn that. Um, 
So for those who want to get into the film industry, how would you suggest it? What are some advice that you would give? Oh, man. I would, don't take my advice is the first. <laughs> no. Uh, There's some credit to that. Figure yeah, it out for yourself, but yeah. also keep this in mind. Yeah, I right? think um, like it's hard. If you're a creative person, it's going to be really hard for you. <laughs> if you're a really industrious person, you can skip through a lot of steps. You know, if you're really smart and industrious, um, and creative, great. That's amazing. You know, there are certain personalities that would just thrive in a year. If you gave them all of my opportunities within a year, they could flip it and they'd have like a like an amazing career. And I think because I go through these spurts of like obsession and fixation where all I think about is acting, I binge. And because I'm a binger, I also kind of have this depressive state where I'm like, right. okay, now I can't do anything. And what I do is I, I, then I consume. So I like go watch movies or I do this. And I have to take in the world so that I have something to push out whenever I'm fixated. So I guess my one piece of advice is um, that I could say for sure is like, if you aim for having a good life, and trying to have a balanced, good life, then your career will benefit from that, I think, personally, individually. Right? No. Because you're going to make the right decisions if your life is uh, in check, right? right? Yeah. I think there was this period where I thought you kind of had to be this, like, it's like, no, it's all about hustle, 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 hustle. And um, I, I'm just one of those people, I don't, I, I like networking, but I'm not going to be someone I'm not to get a job. Right. I'm not going to, and you know, that might mean I never make it by somebody else's standards. I think the biggest piece of advice I could have for somebody's own mental sanity would be um, figure out what it means to make it for yourself. Because mm -hmm. I, to me, making, like I've already made it in so many ways in my own head uh, because I feel satisfied with what I'm doing. And whenever I do a job, I'm generally excited about it. And I'm finally making money doing what I like to do. So that's, that's great. But it took years and years of work to get here. And some people could do what I did in three years maybe. Um, but I, I'm a slow burner. But I'm going to be doing this forever. So when I'm 70, I'm still going to be doing this. So I just think everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. It's just what I just believe. As, the more I do this, the better I get and the more opportunities come my way. So I don't see it stopping or like happening less if you love the art then do it and if you don't love the art then go do something else right yeah you don't want to find yourself stuck in a place where you don't like doing something mm -hmm. if you don't like doing something you can leave mm -hmm. and that's something that i feel like a lot of people don't really uh comprehend as much as they should right you can always yeah there's excuses that you can make and there's a ton of <laughs> ton of reasons why you shouldn't leave this job mm -hmm. or whatever but in the end, you got to take hold of your life because, you know, life isn't going to change for you. Right. Right. Well, I think there, there has to be something that you aim at in your life. So if you have nothing better to aim at, sure enough, aim at this thing. Like right, if there's course, yeah. nothing else going on, you know, it's like whatever. If this is the thing you're most interested in, it's going to take work and you're not going to like every element of it. No, of course. But, um, yeah, like I, I, 
I think the biggest thing for me was that my goal was really to figure out how to not lose myself and not lose my inner child. Mm-hmm. So like that was my big goal in life. And that's why I wanted to be an actor was to not lose that playful spirit. Because I remember my mom worked at a, uh, she, she worked at a, like a Lutheran home, like a nursing home. And there was only two types of old people. There was really awesome, cool, sweet old people. And you'd be like, you, like, they're so great. <laughs> you know what I mean? When you meet an awesome old person, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, um, they're really good at putting up boundaries. Like, when they're done, they're just like, well, oh, I'm done. You know? Yeah, they're, good. Yeah. And they're very, very upfront. They're very, like, there's no qualms about, there's no games. It's just, and they have all this life experience. They're really interesting. If you ask them, you know, questions, they have interesting stories. And then there's bitter, old, resentful people. And I was like, how do I not become that? Because that was, especially from a child's perspective, I only saw those two categories. I'd be like, you are the, like, amazing, cool, sweet old person. Or it's almost like we get more and more radical in our behavior as we get older. And so it's like they kind of take the extremes, you know. And um, and then they're in a really high-stress situation. You know, a lot of times they don't want to be in a nursing home or something. Like right. they're upset. But um, my my goal in life was to, underneath all of this, was to keep the childlike spirit alive. And um, that's been difficult recently. It's been trying because I'm 27. And when I was 21, it's easy to be childlike. <laughs> yeah. And you're encouraged and kind of, like culturally we're encouraged to be immature when you're 21 it's like hey you mm-hmm. can drink now like go for it you know? yeah, right, yeah. and it's like that's what you should be doing it's your birthday and we're sort of not we're not really encouraged to get our act together until you're like 30 and it's not and people just they just expect you to have your act together all of a sudden right yeah it's like as soon as you turn uh 27 or 28 or it's like or 30 you should have your life together it's like right some people still don't have to, you know, don't know how to figure out taxes, right? Right. Like, like, stuff like that. If yeah. you don't know how to mop a floor at 30, people are angry at you. <laughs> like, if, you, if you're if you 21 and you don't know how to mop a floor, they go, what? You don't know how to mop a floor? Okay, well, here, come here. I'll just, it's like this. I'll show you, right? Yeah, but if you're 30 and you don't know how to mop a floor, people are like, where? What's wrong with you? And they'll start conspiring to get you fired because they're like, <laughs> you know what I mean? This person has never worked a day in their life. Right, right. So there's there's something to that. I'm sorry, my volumes are probably going crazy because I'm looking all over the place. You think I'd be used to being in front of microphones? <laughs> um, but uh, and you can always stop me if I ramble because I, I ramble a lot. But uh, keep going. But um, but yeah, it's, I, I think it's it's hard for me to give any advice for sure. But one thing is like, um, I wouldn't sacrifice your character in pursuit of 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 this business especially especially if it's vanity based like um i saw that a lot when i was growing up because i want anytime i'd say i wanted to be an actor people assumed that it was a vanity thing Mm. and to me like in improv there was a saying like never be cute and to me that's like great advice yeah (laughs) never be cute i mean if you're in a commercial and you're cute that's great you know, but like, um, especially in a scene, like a comedic scene, like never try to be cute because it's, it's cringy. It makes everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> never try to be cute, um, especially in comedy. Um, 
there's something about being real and, and saying what you believe to be your, your point of view and, and trying to get to some sort of truth that I think whether you're a comedian or whether you're a songwriter or an actor, that's what you should be in pursuit of is the truth. It's the, it's the pursuit of the truth that makes engaging content rather than actually finding the truth. Yeah, I was about to say, being cute is not fun to watch. It's not good. No, it's not good. <laughs> uh, it makes for bad television or it, bad entertainment. Yeah, in, in an improv scene, it tanks the scene quickly. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's nowhere to go. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, well, I guess we're going to be pathetic, cute people. And it's, right. It turns out it's not yeah. very deep. You know? <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Being cute yeah. is very surface level. Yeah. If, if <laughs> being cute is like, oh, what's your favorite color? Yeah. All right. Oh, let's see. Right. What's the least What's the least challenging question I could ever ask you ever? I, th- I think that it, well, and see the other thing was, I saw that a lot of people thought like they would be interested in entertainment because they thought there was big money in it, mm. and they they think it's this glamorous thing and that everyone's going to be, and that's possible that you could get to this point where people are bending over backwards for you and you're, but you could get that like if you worked at a bar, it was like a really hopping bar in town, you'd get the same treatment. Right. <laughs> if you're a bartender, I know because I worked at a winery and they treat you like royalty because everybody's like, ah, they're all I drinking wine. Yeah. Yeah. And they love you. Yeah. So uh, if, if you want if you want to be worshipped, you can do that in your small town or something. But uh, but I wouldn't go into entertainment thinking like that's no, it, at all it, the case. I'd argue that you shouldn't go anywhere trying to be worshipped either. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. a bad strategy. It's, it's a bad strategy. It's going to get you a, a lot of rejection. Because people will see through that. Right. Yeah. So um, I try to do what I, despite, you know, like I'm not saying there's never been temptation, like to Mm. be um, pursuing something for monetary or vain purposes. But um, I, I really just strive to do things that make me proud of when I look back, I'm like, oh, that's great. And I, I've seen a lot of gigs, like when I'm looking for gigs online, they, they might say $1,000 for this job, but I'm like, but I don't want to be that character. Mm. Like I don't feel, so I don't send in for it sometimes, which I know, again, is probably like not always the best. See, that's not a good advice. You know, well, you I mean, I'd argue, I'd argue <laughs> it would be a good advice. Cause right. you, you, like you said, you have to stay your character, right? You, right. Have, to, you have to be yourself. Granted, there are times where you should branch out, but if you're not okay with being that kind of character, that's totally fine. It, right. And that's, it's, it's, you want to get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be changed. You have to realize that uh, once you become an actor, some of these characters will remain part of you after a while. Right. right? Yeah. You're going to be changing yourself throughout this project project projects yeah as well you're gonna you might end up losing yourself a little bit and you have to keep that in mind when you want to be if you want to be this character you're like i don't really agree with that character that motive whatever blah blah blah. right or i don't like the story as a whole then step away from it. there's no problem having because there's a million other things going on right? right yeah there's always stuff you can always find there's always that uh other job you can always take right well, and I, I think if I'm not interested in the character, I don't want to do it because I'm like, fair, yeah. I'm like, I'd rather do three really good gigs a year than, you know, 40 that I that I struggled my way through because I feel like somebody else could have played them better. I think those are the there. There are roles where I'm like, they clearly want this type of guy. Mm-hmm. They don't want me. They settled for me. 
<laughs> well, uh, <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. And I'm like, they should have had this guy. But, you know, I could be totally wrong about that. We're not very good at judging ourselves. No, not but, um, But if I just try to go where I feel like there's something to learn. So I'm like, oh, like, that's the type of role where I, I have an excuse to learn this skill. Or I have, um, like, there, there's a philosophical thing that the character's going through that I find interesting that I, that I can go through with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd rather play an evil character than a character that I find annoying. You know what I mean? Like, I'd, I'd rather right. well, play I mean, somebody I disagree with completely than somebody that's, like, just uh, annoying. Even me. then, you already, you already have your mind made up about that person anyway. Right. So, yeah. it, so it's like, it's, it's, it's whatever. Right. Uh, I'm I'm just saying you shouldn't go into something that you just don't feel comfortable. With, oh no! Right, right. Yeah. Uh, like in general, like you can understand that that's okay. That's an evil person. That's bad. Yeah. But then still play that really well because you know that person's supposed to be evil and it's supposed to be bad. Yeah. You're probably not going to take much away from that. Right. Well, I need to do a service to the story by being the most evil version of him possible. Exactly. <laughs> you know, right. Like and, and besides, <laughs> that's kind of fun too because it's all make believe in the end anyway. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and that's always the fun. I play make believe for a living. You right. mentioned having being a child. Absolutely, you're right. A lot of of, of adults are forced to lose their childhood mm-hmm. because they it's society it's just socially acceptable or whatever. Right. Be goofy. It's it's literally what makes life fun. Yeah. You're not gonna have fun without the entertaining side of things. Right. I was thinking about that last night. I was at the Creature Feature Weekend, and they had the sexy saxophone guy. <laughs> from the Lost Boys movie. I don't know if that, that that's not generally his official title. That's not what we, <laughs> but whenever I say it, everyone knows exactly what I'm talking about. The sexy saxophone guy from the Lost Boys. He was there and I was like, yeah, I should I should like dance. I should like move my body a little bit, but I didn't do it. And then I felt later when I went home, I was like, I punked out. I should have danced a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you should. You I should have lived always it. Always dance. Have I had fun. so much fun, though. <laughs> yeah, people will make fun of you or whatever. But um, who? Ca- it's not about them. It's, it's about, about your them. life. That's right. I you like, should have danced. Yeah, you get to say I danced out to the sexy saxophone dude to uh from that one from that one movie. Grant, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> but he I was mean, killing it. He was amazing. Well, I mean, like, that, that's like, I mean, just have fun, enjoy your life. You shouldn't be a stiff when it right. comes to those things. Yeah, I think also, um, like, I try to. I I think there's this idea that I've seen a lot of. I don't, I'm trying not to say something like. Hopefully, it wouldn't be offensive. I've seen a lot of self-tapes from actors, mm. um, and not all of them are good. And I think the thing is, I see actors that are constantly working all the time, but it's kind of like you can tell they have a nine-to-five mentality about it where it's like they're putting in more work than 90% of people for mm-hmm. sure, and you can see that. So they're, they're very rule-oriented. Like they don't break, you know, like their eye line's great, and they're always hitting their marks, and they're but their performances to me just seem robotic, robotic and boring, kind of like like it's so memorized and so and so um, anti-organic. Yeah. And I'm not sure you can teach the opposite. Like, I hate to say that some people. Maybe you can. I don't know how you'd go about it, like loosening, maybe improv like being great for human, that. right? Yeah. Well, yeah, improv yeah. would be great for that because then you have to th- you, you're not really thinking you're just being human. Mm-hmm. You need to, right? you need to break that. And the weird thing is when I'm on stage playing my music I get really insecure and I'll get stiff sometimes but with my acting I almost never do I don't know why I'll play crazy kind of flamboyant characters where my movements are really big mm-hmm. and when I'm acting and it doesn't bother me like 
But when I'm playing music on stage, there's sort of this like 90s alternative thing that I got going. In fact, when I was doing stand-up a lot, I'd go up on stage and I'd stand there like Bill Burr. I like had this stance. <laughs> and I realized it was like it's not conducive to listening to music. Like I look like I'm about to like tear up the audience. You know what right, I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like I look like I'm about to start roasting people. So um so it's funny, like because I do each of these things, they bleed into one another. But some of my mistakes from this thing can bleed into this. Mm-hmm. You know, from some of my mistakes from acting can bleed into my music and vice versa. So I don't, I don't know, man, because I'm a master of none, I don't, people are great with me and they go, Hey, we loved you doing this thing that you did. Um, but I'm never really satisfied because I haven't put the sheer amount of time into any one of these things because I've been so, I've kind of spread myself thin, even though I've done this stuff for like eight years, I've spread myself in all directions. So, um, I don't know. I think I'm, I think when I'm like 40, I'm going to finally be good at this stuff. Like I'm going to be like, yeah, like nailing it. Um, I feel pretty good right now about everything I'm doing. Um, and it's always helpful, I'd argue, to have your foot in the multiple things. I think so. I think I and granted, there there's a plus to be focused on one solo thing like yeah. acting or music. But even to have your foot into the music or in into the acting because right. you know, once you when you do a music video, you got to be an actor, right? Heavily yeah. so, very much so. And uh, to be a, a jack of trades, a master of none, you're gonna be excellent at all sorts of things because you're gonna understand way more than the average Joe, right? They all, yeah, like everything I learned from my music does. I I learn things from that that go into acting, and I guess that would be the other piece of advice I'd have is that like. Don't just do the one thing. Yeah. Because if you put, it doesn't matter you're putting 80 hour weeks into just acting, like that's going to be great. And you'll probably have a career. I imagine it'll become really monotonous and boring. You'll probably end up building up a lot of habits that are bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the same way that we do when we, you know, if you have an 80 hour a week job and you work in like a factory. You're going to find shortcuts that are bad, maybe not so good shortcuts. I think so. Yeah. There's almost like, it's almost like wine. Like there's this slow, it's a really slow process of learning this information. You have to have the attitude of constantly being interested in learning more and Mm. being like, how do I take this to the next step? And that's what passion is, is like being interested in taking it to the next step. Whereas I have jobs. I even have a career that I really enjoy as a massage therapist. That's that's what I do. Uh, I'm a massage therapist. I work at like a health center. Um, because I have to do these things called CEUs, continuing education, it forces me to continue learning about massage therapy, which is great because I wouldn't do that on my own terms. Like I just, right. It's you not just my be, passion. Do the job. I just do my job. Yeah, I'd get really, uh, be, it'd become really monotonous and I'd do the same type of stuff over and over because it'd be like, oh, you have uh, like, you know, you have a, a sciatic impingement, then like I just do these four stretches in this specific order, in this specific way. And I help you do that, um, which is great. And I, I know how to do those things, but it's always just adding more tools to the toolbox. Mm-hmm. And you don't get better. There's this idea that practice every day, you'll get better. And it's like, nah, you have to practice at learning new Different things, things yeah. to, to add to it. Because if you do the same thing over and over, it's just going to all be muscle memory. And then right. a five-year-old will come in and beat you at that game because yeah. they're looking at it from the eyes Everything. of like an observer. My uh, my old music teacher, Mr. Dave Smith, 
uh, highly inspired by him. He said, practice makes permanent. <laughs> Instead of great. practice makes perfect. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's so true, isn't mm-hmm. it? If you practice something, you're it's it's permanently in your mind. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mess up scales all the time because I practice them wrong. Yeah, yeah. And so it's so hard to re-practice, relearn. Mm-hmm. You have to practice how to learn, and that's, um, and that's so important for life because you have to. Uh, your life is a constant learning process. Right. If you're not practicing how to learn, how to take in that information, how to adjust your brain, yeah. how to rewire your brain constantly, because that's what it takes these days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're going to flop. And there's a temptation for me to like, there's so much pressure I put on myself because like I said, I have, um, I have four kids um, at home and they're all looking at me, you know? So I am, Living, I have to live by some sort of example, mm-hmm. and uh, I work less now in a lot of ways than I did when I was a kid, because I, I worked like sixty-hour weeks when I was a teenager, and I would like skip school to go to work sometimes, like when I was a teenager, a lot, and I saved up nineteen thousand dollars because I was working under the table, so I'd make five hundred a week, and you see how fast that accumulates, you know, because I'd mm-hmm. lived with my parents, I didn't have to pay rent. My parents were pretty generous with that. I didn't have to pay rent. So I saved up like $19,000. I didn't have time to spend money on anything. And um, I blew like half of that money, which is just crazy. Because I, I turned 21. And other than doing like theater and stuff like that, I would basically just go to the bar every day. Mm-hmm. And I just burned like half of that money by just going to the bar every day. Like you'd be surprised if somebody gave you a million dollars, you would not believe how fast you'd go through it. If you don't have, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have like the, the, the skills to take money and turn it into more money and, and use it. Right. And so I'm going through this period of my life in my life now where I'm learning how to take my resources and maximize their, because I have nothing. I'm always broke. And creative. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that is half the battle these days. They're always broke, especially if you're like just like a college dropout or just like a, a regular, you know, person. Right. It's like it's you're always broke. Yeah. Um. Some of the best stuff I've I had to do in the last like two months of of mine, especially with this podcast, was learning how to budget. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, is it important to learn how to budget? Yeah. You don't realize how much money you waste. Oh my god. On like you know going out to McDonald's every other day or. Going out to wherever, oh yeah, anywhere. Uh, gas. Oh my gosh, gas money. You don't realize how wow. much gas you spend, or how, like you said, the commute to Lancaster is rough. Oh yeah, you yeah. gotta you gotta factor that into your budgeting. Yeah. Well, and I, I gotta say the outside of the gas, I enjoy traveling. Oh, me too. A Absolutely. good bit. I like the. Feel. I've been trying to branch out more because I think I grew up in a place called Cashtown, which is like 15 minutes away from Gettysburg, and it's it's the type of place where there's not a whole lot around it. Now there is. Now there's like a Dollar General and stuff. But when I was a kid, I remember I would walk like five miles to go get a soda at this, um, at a meat, it was a butcher shop. Wow. It was a butcher shop in the middle of nowhere. And I would walk like on the side of the road. It would take like a while because it was like five miles. Five miles, yeah. And then I'd get the soda. It would be like a Dr. Pepper. I remember one time I walked all that way and um, like the, sh- the machine didn't work. And I was just like, oh, and that was like my whole day. And I was like, okay, well, there goes my whole 
day. So I just remember walking back and be like, dang, I really wanted that soda. <laughs> you know, um, so I spent a lot of time when I was a teenager kind of bored. I, I grew up, it felt like I was in the middle of nowhere. Right. And um, I live in Gettysburg now, which is only 15 minutes away with a car. And there's so much to do now versus when I was a kid. Like they have like a comic book store over here and stuff like that, you know, um, an escape room. And uh, they have an axe throwing place. Like there's stuff to do there now. Yeah, it's Gettysburg, right? And um, when I was a kid, it was just a tourist place. Um, so, and I didn't live like walking distance from Gettysburg either. Um, 50 minutes driving is like an like way yeah. much more. Yeah. Um, but I think my, my point about all of this was that because I felt like I lived in the middle of nowhere, everything felt infinitely far away. Mm. New York felt like the way that you might feel about another country. You're like, I don't know if I can go to that country. If you've never been to another country before, there's this feeling like, I don't know. It's distant. It's too far. And you're like, how do you go there? And they go, oh, you just fill out the paperwork. And you go, you go really? That's all you got to do? You got to like sign your name here? And they go, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's this feeling like it's another planet. Mm-hmm. Like it might as well be another planet. And I felt like that about New York my whole life. It's only like three and a half hours away. I've never been to New York but because it feels like another planet to me. Because you see it all the time in movies. It's so big. It's mm-hmm. But it's like three hours away. Yeah. Which, you know, today it's like chump right yeah <laughs> just <Yeah>. drive <laughs> that's like the dis- that's the dis- difference between memphis and nashville tennessee <laughs> you know it's like not Dude, that big a deal <laughs> when um, i went to the middle of america and realized chicago is like only three hours away from like st louis is only three hours away from like nashville is only three hours away from like wow. like I'm like i didn't realize the u.s was that small compared yeah. granted if you go over to europe you can't drive three hours anywhere and you'll be in a different country right right yeah and and it's so, it's so crazy to us uh, how small the world is if you, you know, granted, if you think three hours is a small drive. Right. To someone else, that's an eternity. Yeah. Well, and but. I think when I was growing up, because my we didn't, we weren't poor per se, but we didn't have, uh, I guess we lived very conservatively because my parents didn't go on vacation for like 15 years, I think, something like that, 15 years. Um, we didn't. We, we would go to Ocean City every year at a certain point in my life, which Maryland was pretty nice. Um, Maryland. Maryland. Good. I'm from Salisbury, Maryland, so like, yeah. it's like right there. Yeah, you're like, that's good. That's good. good. Say it again. It's the best. Um, <laughs> but, uh, ooh, sorry. But yeah, I mean, outside of that, we would kind of do the same type of stuff. And I'm not complaining mm. uh, about my childhood or anything like that. But, you know, there was this sense that uh, to drive an hour is a long time. And now, to me, like I know people that work at the healthcare center that I work at, and they drive a mile to work every day right? because it's a good job. And they're like, oh, I'm like a radiologist or whatever, and it's worth the drive. I'm like, really? Um, so when I found that out, that people would drive 45 minutes to an hour to get to a job, sometimes a crappy job, I was like, why can't I do that to go to D.C. or to go... So I've been trying to branch out into these other areas. It's taken me 27, 26, 27 years to actually feel like I'm capable of going more than an hour and a half away yeah. from my home, which is kind of embarrassing because you see 18, 19 year old kids doing it all the time, you know. Right. But I just I you know, I remember there was a there's a drive in theater 
my childhood, one of my dreams was to go to a drive-in theater. I didn't go to one until I was like 18. Because I'd ask my parents, I'd be like, uh, can we go to the drive-in theaters? They're like, ah, oh, it's really far away. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't know. I found it. it's like 35 minutes away. I swear. It's like right. 35. <laughs> and again, I'm not complaining. My parents are great. Um, but, but to them, they were you know, well, busy, right? When you're small town kind of people, like more than 20 minutes is a long drive. Right, yeah, for and sure. gas is expensive. And they have all of these bills to pay because we... It's like, they're, they're adults. Yeah, right. right. And you're like lower middle class, so you don't get any benefits. Mm-hmm. It's like worse than anything. It's like you, <laughs> you don't get any of the assistance to help you live. So you're like right on the bottom of the middle which is not fun. Like it's, you want to be at least middle to top right. middle. <laughs> but um, so like now, um, especially whenever my, my kids were, well, I'm not going to go into that. But, but I, you know, my life is, is so much easier than my parents' lives were. I have so many more opportunities than they did. Um, they tell me stories about like saving up money. At the end of the week, they'd get a hot dog. That type of story, like I don't think a lot of people today empathize with that story quite as much. Oh, right? Yeah. You my, know? my grandparents were like, "I saved up, I, and I walked." It's always that stereotypical, like I walked a mile and a half to get to my school. But right. it's it's very much true because yeah. they didn't have cars. Just depends on where you live. Right, yeah. 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 So I've, everybody has different experiences. Um, that's one thing I learned from massage therapy is like you just never know what people are going through. Yeah. And the nicest people, a lot of times, you don't realize that they're like struggling with losing two loved ones in like a half a year or something it's like the whole robin williams story yeah happiest person never, in the world you never know what people never know through. so um so i don't really know how that connects in with but but my i guess my point is just overall um i i come from a very small world point of view and i'm trying to like branch out and get a bigger grasp on what's beyond me i still am very naive in that way speaking about branching out mm-hmm you do music as well. Mm-hmm. We have some of your songs here. Would you like to talk about them? Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, it's funny because whenever, whenever we make an album, I'm so done with it because we <laughs> go over it so many times to yep. make it. Yep. And um, I'm very easily bored. I'm a very easily bored person with my own stuff especially. Um, but I, it's cool. I have not listened to this album in a while. The last one. It's called Imposter Syndrome. Uh, so when I do hear it, sometimes I'm like, oh, it sounds nice. Cause I haven't, it's, thank God I've, I've spent some time away from it. So tell me about this album. Tell me what the, what, what, uh, making it was like. Hmm. I'll have to think about that for a second. Just some of the lyrics and the content. Cause it's called imposter syndrome. So I, I'd imagine a lot of the songs pertain to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of it, cause on the front of the album, you'll see there's a bunny behind a curtain. Yeah. And like it's the bunnies from a music video that we made from our last album. So he's just sort of like our mascot for right now. Um, thanks. <laughs> it's a cute bunny. It is a cute bunny. Um, there's a music video you can find online. The Mimic, Who's Your Daddy? You'll find it. It's got a big bunny head. You'll be like, that's the one. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, it's a good song. And uh, But so this last album, well, clearly it's about imposter syndrome basically from start to finish and and if you don't know what imposter syndrome is well it's this i it's it's feeling like it's it's hard to to come up with the specific definition but from my point of view at least from from these songs 
uh, I could say like what I was going through, uh, I felt like I was like whether I was acting or doing music, I felt like it it sh- it shouldn't be me doing this. It, it should be somebody else mm-hmm. with more talent. I don't more deserve of this. to be here. I don't deserve to be here. <laughs> um, I, when we'd Ooh, be on I... stage, uh, they're clapping because they feel bad for you. Kind of that type of mentality was really plaguing me at the time. So, um, which which is I guess kind of narcissistic in its own right. It's like how. How much reassurance do you need, you know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they're clapping. It's like, oh, you guys are just clapping because you, because you feel you me. obligated. Right, they're yeah. like, shut up. We clapped for you. Just, just. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, how entitled can I be? But, but no, I mean, I think most people that are creative and they're trying to monetize that creativity, feel this sense that why am I even doing this? Somebody else could do this better. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, maybe. Maybe. From that, mm-hmm. what song do you remember? What what that was all about, or I think that's actually just about, um, it's about just toughing it out until you get to the other side of something. Like if you, uh, if you've ever been through like just a really hard time, there's a there's there's a, a moment that you realize you're like crap. It's I I have to like. I have to do this for weeks. Like when you're at the yeah. beginning of a really stressful period and you know that you're at the beginning, that's kind of what the song's about. Just like knowing you're like, oh my God, I have six more weeks of of hell to endure. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that's, you know? it's important. Sometimes you just have to figure it out mm-hmm. and get through it. Sometimes the end's not even clear. Right. So you're like, I'm at the beginning of something awful and I'm not sure when it's going to end. And that's what the song's about. Basically, that said, this is maybe by the mimic. Oh.
that was maybe by the mimic. Oh boy, I tell you. Um, so I'm. It's a four piece band. Uh, Jeff Colby is on guitar. We had uh, we recorded it in Nashville actually. Really? This album. Yeah, we recorded it in Nashville with some friends. Uh, th- there was a guy I mentioned earlier, Daniel Collars. His brother Justin Collars started a studio in Gettysburg called the Shed, the Shed Productions, and now he's in Nashville, so he records there. So we recorded at. Uh, he had a, a friend who had a studio, and we brought up all of our equipment and set up. And it was it was a lot of fun. That's we recorded cool. the entire album. The entire album is live. I don't know if you can tell. It's it's not multi-tracked. Wow. It's all live tracks. Um, we recorded it in eight hours. So we this last one. And the weird thing is I think it doesn't sound quite as refined as our first album. Our first album is more experimental and very refined. Like each song is like we were really trying to go for something. Mm-hmm. And it's more mixed. It's mixed better because there's more to play with. But this one's like three tracks, you know, like we might add this little effect on top, basically. That's cool, though. Yeah, so it took like eight hours. It was very stressful. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. Because we were like, we wanted we wanted to nail it because we went all the way to Nashville for it. Right. You know, so. So you have, uh, we have another one, Once in a While. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one? Yeah, I remember this one really well. So we were leaving the studio after when we were recording our first album, and... Um, Talk about imposter syndrome. I was just so angry with myself because I couldn't. Uh, I just creatively, a lot of times, especially musically, like I come up with songs in my head a lot of times. There's something I can hear in my head that I can't translate to the world. And that's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. And so I was dealing with that with one or two different songs. And I was going to the studio all the time, which is expensive. <laughs> you know, because I owe him that time because he's, you know, um, he was giving us a good price, but still, like, we were racking up dollars and, you know, I have kids at home and stuff. So um, I was getting so frustrated. I was walking home and I felt like I just didn't make any progress. And sometimes you'll make a diff- you'll make a change and you think it's good and you come back later and you hate it. So it's just this, this process. And um, as I was walking home, like, I heard this song verbatim in my head. Like the drums, I could hear everything. It was very clear. So I just recorded each of the parts with my mouth, like the drums. I recorded like the drums with my mouth and like the bass and the guitar. And then the lyrics as I was walking home. That's cool. It worked out. Yeah, but I think that's in order to be like, for me at least, in order to be truly like to let my creative brain really go and I I need that stress. So that's where it comes from a lot of times. If I feel like if your life, if you don't have anything going on, where what do you have to grab from? Right. No, mm-hmm. it's 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 the joke that uh, trauma inspires creativity, uh-huh. but it's very it's very much yeah, true. And I was traumatizing myself because I was just like so I was beating myself over my head, just like trying to figure out what to do. Um, but yeah, just po- like it was crystal clear in my head. It was so odd because whenever we were recorded, I was like, that's exactly what it sounded like in my head. It was really cool. Um, it's definitely inspired by the Strokes. If you're like a fan of the band, the Strokes, it's definitely that. With that said, this is Once in a While by The Mimic.
That was Once in a While by The Mimic. Woo! Where can people find you? Uh, well, you can find me on Facebook. We have uh, um, The Mimic. I think it's The Mimic Music on Facebook. Let me look it up here just to be sure. See, I get these all these all mixed up here. You also got a Spotify. That's right. Yep. Um, we're on Spotify, The Mimic. I think we're the only ones on Spotify. Really? Uh, I, uh, that, at least of The Mimic. Like, if you look up The Mimic, we pop up pretty immediately. Um. If you ever see a bunny, you know that's us, uh, a white bunny. Uh, but yeah, the mimic on Facebook. You can find us there at the mimic music. Um, you can also find us on Instagram. Uh, we we have a YouTube page as well. So um, yeah, I mean, generally, if, if you just look up, the thing is, you know, what's really frustrating. If you go on YouTube and you look up the mimic, it's like all these kids' videos. Cause you know how kids like they'll make these these video game videos or whatever they'll get like seven million views for some reason, mm-hmm. and it's all like trash. <laughs> <laughs> so now it's like our music is underneath these kids videos where it's like this something called the mimic. I was like, oh great, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised that's not more like uh, that's not, that's like a good band name too to have. I like it. I like it. Um, so I came up with the name. We had a bunch of names that we were going over together, and the mimic was one of them. And uh, I, I came up with the name because that, that was, like, fundamentally who I was growing up. Like, I, I, if I spend enough time with anybody, I, I have an impression of them. Yeah. Um, I'm very impressionable. So, uh, so I was, you know, that I, I figured if I had any one skill, it was mimicry. Mm. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where the name came from. Also, I heard this creepy, like, horror story about a creature called the Mimic. So, it, uh, to me, it had this, like this like dangerous edge to it a little bit and we're sort of like a 90s alternative yeah, rock well, it's, sound. It's excel- it sounds exactly you know? like one of those uh names that you would hear from that era right like the mimic mm-hmm. it's 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 got a good uh pop like alternative uh vibe to it yeah yeah so i think it fits with our our sound i gotta be honest i man i've been to some shows where people play like party music like well like the saxophone guy's mm-hmm. got a saxophone man and I'm like, I wish we were that band sometimes, you know? <laughs> There's always, it always goes to those shows like, I wish I had that sound. I know, but I can't, I can't have it all. Can't have it all. Well, it nope. would make sense to play our music because I like our music a lot and then play the saxophone and be that guy, I don't think. <laughs> you can do what you want, I guess, but. If um, you, uh, we're going to end out our radio time, but we're going to keep going on facebooklive.com forward slash the story Corey Rosen. If you want to find us and. You know, keep listening there. Be sure to do that. You can also find us anywhere on Spotify or Instagram or TikTok. You can just look up The Story Podcast or The Story Corey Rosen, C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. If you want to keep up with all of our guests, events, all that stuff, go over to Facebook or Instagram or go to Linktree at The Story Podcast. You can find all of our links there as well. With that said, we're going to get you guys back to the music, but we'll continue live here on Facebook. Woo!
I always really enjoy when the when the LBC radio yeah. comes by because it feels so official. It does. It feels really real. Yeah. But um, if you didn't get, we're gonna keep going on uh, Facebook Live. So what we're gonna do is talk about some general questions that I like to ask all of my guests. Cool. Uh, you mentioned having a family. What is it like to bridge? The, uh, how do you balance your family life versus your career life? Oh, it's impossible. Um. <laughs> Uh, calendar calendar support yeah <laughs> i think it's like can't underestimate the power of a good calendar it's weird to me how many years of my life i didn't use a calendar the only reason why i started using a calendar yeah it's because of this podcast right it forces you to but i think whenever you have a calendar or some sort of planner you realize how much time you waste and that's the yeah. good thing about it is that if i look at my calendar there's nothing on it i'm like oh then what am i doing this month and so when I look at my calendar, I'm like, oh, look at all these spots that I have. And generally, my friends will be like, hey, we got this gig. You want to do it? I'm like, yeah. So I almost never have a clean calendar. Mm. Um, my, I, I'm booked every single day generally with something. Um, and if I don't have something, it's like I have to, I, see, balancing the family life stuff. I tr- I've been trying more and more to prioritize certain days just to be with my family and do nothing. Sure. And um, hopefully those are the types of breaks that make me more serious when I get back to whatever it is that I'm doing. Um, you spend all your goofiness with your family and then go back, all right, yeah. here we go. Yeah, and like I have a, you know, I have a 13-year-old, a 4-year-old, and two newborn babies, a boy and a girl. And I have a wife. So like my wife needs attention, it turns out. And my kids need attention, it turns out. And like... <laughs> <laughs> Who, knew? <laughs> Who knew? Yeah, like it turns out it's really important. And I, I was, I, I like, I'm really interested in like psychology and stuff. So I'll read a lot of articles, psychology articles and stuff from psychology.com, like psychology mag. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that they were saying long term sustainable relationships and how to make them healthy and these things you can do. And one of the most important things was that you had at least 80 minutes of concentrated uh, conversation a week. Yeah. Even if that 80 minutes includes, uh, hey, we need to pay this bill. We got to do this. We got to do that. It's like, fine, Serious but you stuff, have yeah. to have at least 80 minutes. And um, and I, I did notice if it got less than 80 minutes a week that, uh, I mean, you know, our relationship would begin to suffer a little bit. So I've just, I've made that more of a priority. Um, that And that doesn't sound like much, but you'd be surprised how many relationships so, don't communicate even that much. Right. And 80 minutes... That's like less than an hour and a half. You can mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I can talk for an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. You know how hard it is to talk to, to a person for an hour and a half about right. serious stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Doing this, it takes a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, take, have, and granted, I'd argue that most people haven't had at least an ongoing conversation for an hour and a half. Right. And, yeah. it's, and I, I, I encourage everyone to do it because it's a lot of fun. You get to learn a lot of, a lot about the person in a short amount of time. But mm-hmm. especially when it comes to relationships, right. it's hard to yeah. keep constantly talking about deep stuff or how are they doing because it gets, it gets to the point where you already know that person enough, right? right? Yeah. But you can never know somebody enough because there's always new things happening to them right. and within their mind. It's funny. I've been acting, like I said, for a long time. Well, for my life anyway. Right. And I've been playing music for a good while. I'm very reluctant to give advice about that type of thing. But I've, I, like, I have pretty solid relationship advice, I think, just generally. Um, but yeah, like, 
like if somebody needs feedback about the relationship, like my wife and I are really tight. And, um, you know, I don't have an answer for everything, obviously. Of course. But, uh, and, I, you know, I break my own rules for sure. But, um, but I can't think of anything more rewarding than like having one person that really knows you, like the ugliest parts of yourself and the best parts of yourself. And um, one thing is, like, this is a trick I learned, if, just in case anybody's interested in having a long-term relationship, because it turns out you should probably do that, because yeah, there's not right. much else to life. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly. <laughs> it's a good, having at least one good relationship is really yeah. important. Whether it be a friend or a partner. Right, and chances are, if you can't keep a partner, you probably can't keep a friend too well, so... Um, or well, or vice versa, or, too. or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. Um, uh, although I'm sure, I'm sure there are a lot of great people out there that are just, you know, you're just waiting on the time to meet the perfect yeah fish absolutely. in the sea. That happens too. But, um, but the one thing I could say for sure is that uh, my my wife and I were really good about this. We are both really good at not stopping the conversation when it gets uncomfortable. Mm. We're really good at being like, if we're in an argument and we go, hmm, we shut up whenever we think of saying something mean. It's just as simple as that. It's like, no matter how bad it gets, it's like um, the evil parts within yourself, if you can just keep them quiet and if you know there's there's always a moment where things have gotten ugly and you're about to do something or say something that's not as nice as you are and you just have to just be like, excuse me, I'm just going to go outside for a second. I'm going to come back in when I'm like... Chill. You know, and allowing your partner to have space is like amazing (laughs) during an argument. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, My wife and I were talking about this the other day. It was like, um, just if you know how to argue, then your relationship's good. If you know how to argue, because it turns out that you have to argue and there's really important (laughs) things to talk about Turns out you're different people. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> yeah, and, and there's like, um, like if you're not arguing, that's because you're not telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Like somebody's hiding something or, or, or you're incapable of speaking up for yourself and you're for sure going to be bitter 30 years from now if you don't speak. Yeah. So, um, and that's not good for you or the person you're with. No. So, be honest uh, with each other. Mm-hmm. So if, Just if, don't result that at Hobman's. Right, yeah. Right? And my, insults. My dad at one point, like he, I was like, he said, listen, all I got to say as far as, like, he's like, as long as the conversation keeps going, you're good. He's like, if it ends, then it's over. He's right. like, so long as every conversation ends with sort of like a dot, dot, dot until right, the right, next until time. Until next time, yeah. <laughs> um, and there have been some ugly conversations, but I think my wife and I always have like a dot, dot, dot at the end. <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's that's a really, and it turned, it, I, again, I'm always surprised how much we like each other whenever we get through to the other end of it. And then we, after every argument, we celebrate the fact that we're over the argument by making fun of how ridiculous we were right, in the argument yeah. afterwards. Be like, what was I thinking? I wasn't thinking like this. I wasn't fair to you when I said that. And just like being, and I, it surprises me how many people struggle with that. You know, but. Because yeah, people can't, it's a, it's a hard thing to critique yourself and then realize, oh, I was a dummy. Mm-hmm. You got to realize that sometimes you're dumb. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And, so, you know, you got to get through that. Yeah. And um and sometimes other people are dumb. That's okay. You got to get through that too. Right. Well, and there's or, t- re- re- you know, recognize that that's not them. 
Yeah. Well, and I think we all have the capacity to be evil. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's there's this thing where it's like, how do I say, you know, my wife and I negotiate with each other partially to save each, save each other from our worst self. Right. And and saving ourselves from our from empowering the worst parts of ourselves. I'll give an example of, of one thing for me. If you if you tell me to do a chore or it's like, "Oh, by the way, the dishes." Is this a, or uh if you tell me like immediately, can you do the trash right now? I'm mm-hmm. like, that is the worst. If you want to get me to do something, that is the worst way to get yeah. me to do something ever. Because mm-hmm. I'm, I guess I already have a plan for my day, right? Mm-hmm. I already have that plan. If so, if somebody comes in and says, "Hey, by the way, can you do this thing that you really hate right yeah. now?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know, of whatever reason, that makes me irrationally angry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand that. I think maybe. You- I guess you could circumvent that by putting up your daily planner on oh, the wall. Oh no! What, 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 what <laughs> a way to circumvent me, uh, circumvent that is. I'll tell people, hey, can can you just tell me, uh, hey, um, when you get home from whatever, or by the way, this needs to be done. I'll figure out when I'll put it in the schedule. Right. I'll put it in the schedule for myself. But if you tell me, uh, right now, it's like right. No, or if, if I just got home from something, you tell me to do it right now. Yeah, not that's not the time to tell me. That's funny. It's kind of I'm kind of the opposite actually. Yeah. Yeah, I think because like, I'm like, oh, I'll just add that into whatever I'm doing right now, kind of thing, and that doesn't bother me. But if you're sometimes like, I'm like that. But if it's with something I really hate, oh yeah, yeah, especially it, you're like, I don't want to take the trash. Out. Yeah, I don't want to take the trash. I don't want to do the dishes. I I'm a very much of a germaphobe, so it's like, oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything that has to deal with that or, or. Because I'll find time to figure it out. Or right. so, for, this has been a, a recent example. Uh, for whatever reason, my lamp likes to, and the glass will be everywhere. Oh, really? And but it'll always be like at night when like right ready to go to bed. And it's like <laughs> my roommate's like, "Why? Well, why don't you clean it up?" It's like I can't be bothered to deal with this right now. I'll <laughs> do it later at some point. I'll and then fig- you step on your own glass. Well, you're I, like I should have cleaned it up. No, I, well that's not that's not <laughs> part. Well, so, so, some part of me gets uh, overcome because I, I know where to step now. So it's like I'll do it yeah, later. Yeah. But uh, but if you ask me to do something right now, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to bed. I'm sorry, it's, it's especially if it's like late at night. But it, but I'll come home and I'll see the problem. I'll do it right now because yeah. I I see that problem. Like oh, that needs to be fixed. I'll do it now. But yeah. if someone if I come home and I see that problem and someone else tells me, hey, that's a problem. I'm like. How dare you? I was, I was like, I was like, I was literally about to do it. Just just because you said that, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Well, in a relationship too, that happens all the time. Oh, for sure. Just because I've been pointed out about it, like I'm like, um, I know it's a problem, but now because you pointed it out, that's now it's that's your fault now. Right. And I think also just being able to like this goes with anything, being able to forgive yourself for being an immature child. Oh, absolutely. And just being like, okay, like I guess. This is a way in which I should probably improve for my sake and everybody else's sake. Right. And I hate that. I hate having to improve. It's like I remember the it's one so day I was hard. like it's it's kind of cliche and popular to be like I love learning. People love to say that. Don't you want to learn? They'll say st- like stupid stuff. Like <laughs> no, I don't ever it hurts my brain to learn any new thing. Mm-hmm. It is stressful for me to inherit new information. Um especially if it's about yourself. I, any yeah, and especially if it's something that's just not positive, I'm like, well, I don't. Um, I hate learning, but I force myself to do it because I know it's important. Um, 
Anytime somebody's like, I love learning, I'm like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I've never met somebody who love. No, I've met some people that love learning. Some people oh, are sure. like learnaholics, but um, I admire that. I admire that. Like, I wish I. I I'm not curious, and I was. That's what I was saying about you. I'm like, it's a, you're curious. That's good. It's good that you're curious. It's a good quality because I'm not that. I'm curious involuntarily, but I can't. I don't just look at the world opportunistically, mm-hmm. like curious. Um. There's plenty of things I'm not curious at all about. <laughs> oh, and, uh, to to reveal the curtain, there are some things I'm not curious whatsoever yeah. about either. Yeah. Uh, but there are some things I like to know, and I'd argue that you got to find that. There is that for everybody. Like for for you, you mentioned psychology. I'm really into psych- You're curious about psychology. Oh yeah, I'm then super interested. In find 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 yeah. what you're curious about. Go after it, because then you'll never not like learning about that one subject. Right. Yeah. Oh, so this is this is a good piece of advice. Um, it's funny. It has to do with what you said. Um, and again, this is something I learned from Psychology Mag. Um, it was, if you want to change somebody's behavior, sp- specifically like a relationship, um, the first thing you should do is you should understand that it's stressful for anyone to change their behavior, even in a slight, even a slight deviation way, yeah. is... is to be requested to do that is a really stressful thing, especially by somebody you love in some way because you can actually be honest with them, which means that you're going to show that you're annoyed on your face. And so what you should do when you, if you desire a change in your partner is that you should be very um, open to that reality when asking them. So when you ask them, you should try to be as positive as possible when making the request. I would really appreciate it. If you could, if you could do this thing, and what you should expect is for them to be angry at you. <laughs> That's the yeah. first that you should expect them, and then you go, "Listen, this is just my. This is, I, I would just really appreciate it, and it would, it would make my world a lot easier, and it would change the blah blah blah, right? So when they do it, because they're going to probably try to do it if you've negotiated properly, they will try to do the thing that you requested, and they're going to do it poorly just to resent you. <laughs> and they're gonna yep. do it. So you should also That's expect exactly that. my problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're going to do a crappy job out of resentment. Yeah. And then what you do, because you know this, because that's almost exclusively what happens. You say, "Hey, good job." Yeah. You say, you give them that reward anyway. That. Yeah. Look at that. Hey, look, good you job. did it. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. you. I don't even. I appreciate it. You don't even need to critique the part that they right, messed yeah, up yeah. because that's they know that they did that. They and, know that. And they because did you that. pointed out, that's gonna make them that more angry at you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't. You just go. Hey, good job. That's all you do. Yep. And then the next time, if they're not doing it, you'd be like, hey, can you, can you please just keep doing that? And then every time they do it, they go, hey, good job. You just did it. I really appreciate it. And then that. over time, they'll, get, they'll just do it out of habit for you. And then eventually they'll do it, and they'll stop doing a crappy job just because who wants to do a crappy job literally every time? Right, like, they start taking pride yeah. in your work eventually. Yep. So if you, wanna, if you need something, it's not going to work for everybody because some no. people are really stubborn. But, I mean, also maybe that helps you to figure out who you should be with and who not to be with. Of course. <laughs> you know, it's like, right. Okay, well, they're a stubborn mule, so I'm not going <laughs> to – I'm not sure they care about me because they're too, you know. And, and uh, also people might critique you, oh, you shouldn't want to change somebody. It's going to happen regardless. You have to make yeah. comp- compromises. Yeah, I mean, I, I would it's, – it's weird because I think if you're in a relationship, like you said, you're both going to change. Yeah. And if you're in a relationship that's intimate, you both have to change have together. To. Otherwise, you're just going to change and you're going to separate. Yep. And so if you're, if you're looking at this long term, you both need to change. 
And there's a sacrifice of individuality to some degree whenever you do that. Yeah, there has to be a duality. Yeah, you that, have to be like uh, you have to become one. But I think a you whole can, unit. Once you figure out, you know, those roles, then you can go back to your individuality. Oh yeah, it's like it's just like it's just a matter of figuring each other's rules up. But I think people are so terrified of sacrificing anything about their own behavior, regardless of whether it's good or not, that they it scares them. Yeah, they'd rather be incompetent than be be forced to mm-hmm. change or or accept their their new reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I get that. It's like I understand. It's hard, yeah, for way. sure. But to go into a relationship expecting every you to be the same, it's not gonna happen. Right, it can't happen. Well, it was funny. I heard somebody say that. This, I just thought this was like a funny quote, but I can't, I'm gonna mess it up. But it was like a lot of times men go into relationships hoping they stay the same. A lot of times women go into relationships hoping the man would change. Um, which I like. I've seen examples yes, of that in my of life. Um, but like, I think that's the great thing about particularly like a heterosexual relationship is that that thing where it's like if if you're both striving for those things like maybe you can meet each other in the middle a little bit you know? yeah right. you can understand the fact that you both have to make a sacrifice there you know um but you're never going to completely change somebody right and you're never going to want to be completely changed yeah and you're never going to be satisfied with somebody who never changes yeah so i, I yeah I, I don't know I think also there's this idea that relationships are supposed to be romantic and and constantly supposed to be perfect, perfect right? and enjoyable no. or something. And a relationship is ups and downs, roller coasters, fights, arguments. Yeah. Like you said, arguments are healthy for a relationship because it it first off it you recognize another part of that person and then you brought tighter together because of it because you are creating an outcome, right? right? Uh, for better or for worse, trauma bonding is a thing because it's. It's you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a thing that happens, and granted, whether it be for better or for worse, you got to figure that out on yourself. Yeah. But having pro- having a rocky relationship isn't that bad of a thing. It's because it's sh- there's points where it's going to be rocky. There's points where it's going to be smooth. If you don't have that balance, mm-hmm. well, you you're both going to let each other down. Yeah. To some degree, because you're human. Yeah, right. And um nobody's perfect. Yeah, like I think there's also this thing where whenever um whenever you're in a relationship at the end of the day what it's about is intimacy. And mm-hmm. intimacy can be you Good know or bad. Yeah, like if you are trying to get away with something, if you're not being genuine, you're not being truthful, you're trying to get away with something. If you're trying to cheat on somebody, intimacy would be really difficult because <laughs> Yeah, it would yeah, be. No, yeah. I mean, it'd be like, oh crap, you know. It's like because uh, you'd be pulled away because you would feel guilty, or you would, mm-hmm. you know, other otherwise. I think people sometimes don't Im- try to have intimate relationships because then they they have to sacrifice their their own way their of own, life. Yeah, yeah, their own behaviors. They have to make sacrifices with their behaviors because the intimacy intimacy can mean. I, I think that the. What you're striving towards is that you have like somebody who has your back, mm-hmm. and you have to go through a lot of trial and error to figure out how to properly back each other up, and maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Speaking of trial and errors, what are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made personally with your with your band or whatever, or you've seen other people make, and how can we curb that for future uh, generations? Mm. The biggest mistake. It's hard because 
when I look back, everything that brought me here, I know that's cliche, but I like if mistakes bring you to where you are, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I one thing I, I don't I don't believe in wasted time. I, I think it's all I mean, there's there's it's not clear to me that there's any way to expedite the process. <laughs> yeah. And um my <laughs> fear, I, I'd say this is a mistake that a lot of people experience. I didn't experience this. Is like maybe you got really good at the business side without getting good at the art side of it. And that means that you end up getting opportunities that you would never get if you didn't know the business side. Mm-hmm. So the last thing you want is to get a big opportunity and to squander it because you haven't delved enough into the craft. I did the opposite. That would be my mistake. I've been so fixated on the craft. And, you know, like I read like, I you know, I read like the Chekhov technique and the Stanislavski system. And I was like going back to the roots of, great modern acting and like I, I got obsessed with craft and art and it turns out that all of that doesn't really matter if you don't know how to be a business person yeah. so now I'm going through this weird thing I'm 27 and having to go through the business part like I'm like wow I could have probably done that seven years ago but I didn't grow up I grew up with dial-up computer like a dial-up right of course computer. yep I didn't grow up with high-speed internet so like that's it's like a whole other world to me yeah and I see a lot of young people, like 18 year, years old, and they all are very tech savvy. And I'm like, man, they, they could outpace me so quickly online. More power to them, yeah, for sure. Right. But I would also say it's kind of like if your ability outweighs your wisdom, sometimes you end up screwing yourself because, oh, yeah. you know, it's like the good thing is that I feel like if I show up on a professional set now, I feel way more prepared. And I've been on enough professional sets in the background or this or that. Um, or I've been more of like a leading character on on projects um, where I feel comfy in that zone now. So that's good. I was always terrified of getting on a big set and not knowing what to do. And I wouldn't say until like two years ago that I feel like I knew what I was doing a little bit in that regard. So my mistake was not learning enough about the business side, but I'm learning it now. And I'm, you know. Yeah, definitely be a a well-rounded person within your industry. That is Mm -hmm. very important. That's something I'm learning now. How do I market? How do I uh, reach out? How do I do the business side? I know how to get the people in. I know how to get asked the questions. How do I expand that? Right. That's hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you have one side down that you've always done, and then you have the other side that you never really thought about until it hit you and slapped you in the face. and like, oh, wait, you actually have to make money now. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and at the beginning of this year, I told my wife because we had twins. We had newborn twins in February. Oh no, January twentieth. January twentieth. So there's seven months now. Um, but I told my wife. I said, "Okay, this year I'm only taking paid work, and that's just and like nothing less than one fifty a day. Yeah, and that's just what I have to do. And if I'm not doing that, I have to pick up hours at work. Right, kind of thing." Because I was doing free work for so long or, you know, um, doing a lot of volunteer stuff. And again, that goes back to the imposter syndrome thing. I didn't feel like I deserved money for acting because I'm like, well, how much acting have I? But now I'm like, okay, well, I have like, I did all this stuff. Like, I guess I'm just as, I deserve this job just as much as this guy Mm -hmm. or whatever. And he gets tons of work. And it's like, well, then I guess as far as like putting my time and I guess it's, I'm ready to, to actually say like, yeah, I'm only taking paid work. And you know what the frustrating thing about that is? A little bit. Not frustrating. I'm happy for these people. I'll see people that have no experience and they've been getting only paid work for a while 
And again, they don't know what they're doing. And sometimes I'll be on sets where I'm like, oh, you know, they don't realize that they're screwing up a rep, like a, they're messing up their reputation a little bit by doing mm-hmm. this thing mm-hmm. or doing that thing. Like, so again, it's like they had the benefit of, but they started doing paid work right away. But I do see that where sometimes it'll be like just doing unprofessional things. Like I had a friend, he sent me a headshot and I still don't have professional headshots. I've had okay headshots for a while that a friend took of me, which they're nice for a photo, but they're not real headshots. So I'm getting real headshots here soon, which are expensive. And I'm always broke. I'm always broke. So I'm like, so, but I've gotten plenty of work with the headshots I had. But part of that strategically, and this, you you could call me stupid for this, and you're probably right. Another mistake. Um, I was afraid of getting work that was beyond my talent or my skill level at that time is a better way. So I was like, whatever, if I'm in this market, and then my plan is to sort of rebrand and like, oh, now I got this, I got all this stuff and send that in. And um, I know that they say the first impression is really important and clearly it is, but um, you know, we all go at our own pace. Yeah, there's always room to rework yourself and uh, restate your reputation. There there are always second chances for sure. But I I would agree with you. Uh, Make sure you land first, right? Mm -hmm. Other than land later, because it's so much harder to land later than it is to set yourself up for success, right? Right. Well, and like, talk about terrifying. Could you imagine being on a set? It's like a multi-million dollar set, and you have no idea what you're doing. Um, I just like to me that would be terrifying. No, yeah, that would be, uh, yeah. There's that's what I'm saying. Set yourself up for success. Don't don't go in head first and then drown, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go in, prepare yourself. Because you could be you could be a relatively new actor, but understand everything else, right? Right. Uh, I would highly recommend because there, there's pros and cons to both sides, right? Mm-hmm. You can go in there not knowing what you're doing and then gain so much more information, right? Uh, at the sacrifice of a little bit of reputation and whatnot, right? But I would always always support the idea, know what you're getting yourself into, um, and understand the craft. Be always willing to. There's one thing. If you don't know what you're doing, always ask questions. Right. Always. Right. Well, and I, I give you an example of just like professionalism, like just like little things. When I was doing background work, and it's just background work, so like it's not just background work. It's not just background But people work. go, hey, it's just background work. So, um, but I, I went and I was working on this movie in D.C. like two months ago, and um, I I would show up, I would be the first one there. Like, I would be there before mm-hmm. a lot of the crew and stuff. Well, maybe the crew was there, but I, I would go into the garage and be completely empty. And, um, which, by the way, if you ever are in a garage completely empty, like an internal garage, and you slam your door, it makes the craziest sound. Anyway, so, yeah. I never experienced that. I was like, whoa. It <laughs> yeah. sounded like... Experiment with sounds in an empty garage. You're just going to have a bunch of fun. It's really cool. Um, but anyway... I showed up and every morning I would go and as I was walking to like there's like an open cafeteria area where all the background hung out and I'd walk in and I'd be like hi and I, I tried to keep track of all of the names of the crew and the mm. people that worked there that not the crew like behind the camera but the crew that are like the food service people and like and those people I'd be like hey Jessica thanks a lot this is great thanks you know just like little things like that. And just being nice to everybody and just yeah. getting to know people's names. And 
the only two times I've ever done background out of like 20 people in the first thing, I was right in the background, like right in the shot. And then on this movie, they put me in camera in front of the camera like every time. I was like super lucky. I swear it's because I was the first one there. Because if if they're if you're the first person they see in the morning and they're like, hey, we need a background guy, and they called me, they're like, Austin, you you come over here. I think it's because I was the first one there. So because, it's the first name they heard that right, day. Right, yeah. You know, so of the background, I was the first name that they heard that day. Yeah. No, I, I think stuff like that makes a big difference. I'm with you there. Be early. Mm-hmm. Be the nicest person there. Mm-hmm. It's so, It goes so far. You don't realize how far a simple hello, like, yeah. uh, that you know you're, that, you know, of course you would say their name in a place that'll play. <laughs> right, yeah. Oh, uh, that would not be professional. No, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and th- another thing is, right. like, you know, they say, hey, don't talk to the talent. You know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. well, I was really lucky on this movie because it was, it, it's cool because it's, it's actually, it's for Netflix and it's, uh, it's about a historical figure. I, I don't, I don't want to go into too much, but, mm. um, but anyway, so the main actor was a really nice guy. And a couple of the days I got to work like right next to him, which is really cool because he's been in the show Euphoria and like mm-hmm. Lincoln, the movie That's Lincoln cool. and like a bunch of, That's so really he's, cool. he's a really great actor. And he came by and he stopped me and he said, hey, I just really like the detail that you're putting into what you're doing. I was like, man, like, you know, what I mean? there's these days where you don't know if you're going in the right direction, mm-hmm. but something as simple as that is just like, um, you know, and so that's why I ended up in front of the camera so much. I think in this last time is because I was the first one there. I knew all of their names and I'd say hi to them every morning. Just as simple as that. I'm not sitting there talking to them about like handing out business cards and doing all of that. No, oh, yeah. Just trying to. So the best form of networking is being yourself and just saying so. hello. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And just liking people. Like I like people, so that I'm. I have a huge benefit in this industry. I think because I genuinely like people. And I'd argue uh, this is something that's been said many a time, but go into something not looking for a transaction. Mm-hmm. You got you to meet people where they're at, uh, get to know them there, because oftentimes the only way for you to get a transaction from them is by doing that, you know, icebreaker stuff. Right. You can, yeah. you know, meet the person, get to know the person, then ask, hey, by the way, I'm interested in doing this. Yep. Would you have any of this opportunity? Yeah, you're gonna get so many, so much more opportunity by doing it that way than say, "Hey, what's the opportunity?" Because at that point, you're you're like coming off as brash and right, right. Yeah, and well, and I think there's a desperation that comes with being yeah, an actor. for sure. And like when you go, um, you know, there's there is a pressure. I watch these videos on YouTube all the time. Like business type videos. Recently, I've been watching a lot of them. It's important to watch. <laughs> and you know, but a lot of the, the a lot of the stuff that they talk about, I'm like, yeah, that makes sense in L.A., but does it make sense in the D.M.V.? Mm. A lot of that stuff, and some of it seems so insufferable and over the top that I'm like, I'm not. It's like, again, that comes back to the values thing. It's like, okay, well, what am I trying to get out of this? Well. Yeah, I mean, clearly you want to take your career to the next side, but like one one of the things that they're like keep like a really detailed notebook with everyone that you ever meet and then you put their thing and then send them an email every every week send them an email i was like i, I hate that guy yeah yeah that's and i don't yeah, want right. to be that guy <laughs> of course yeah that that's like overdoing it. yeah no i mean well i'm sometimes those emails are great because you're like hey i'm really interested in what this guy's doing don't get me wrong but um you know that's not actually what the advice was it was something like that that was like it was send send a postcard i was like gee how much money am i going to have to spend on postcards 
once a month to send these to every casting person I know. Right. And how annoyed are they going to get of me? Right. And they say the worst they can say is no. And I'm like, that's not the worst. That's not... <laughs> They'd be like, oh, my God, this guy's insufferable. Don't, don't. Yeah, right. The... <laughs> yeah, I, I would. Yeah, you're right. The worst thing that people can say is the stuff they say about you. Right, this guy's yeah. insufferable. But again, like, I don't feel confident about any belief that I have about the film. I don't believe the film industry is designed for me to thrive and get ahead. Mm. It's designed to make quality work. It's designed to make film, yeah. You know, and those are two totally different things. And I'm not complaining about that. It's just a matter of fact. So, you know, I could be the perfect little actor and never get noticed ever because it's not designed to notice the perfect little actor who shows up on time every day necessarily. It's, It's designed to notice people that stand out. Mm-hmm. So you have to stand out in some sort of way. And so you have to carve your own path. I guess that's that's the point I'm making. The cool thing about, I read autobiographies all the time of different actors, and all of them have a totally different story and way of getting yeah. from A to B. And so I guess you get to figure out through your individuality what path you need to go down. And, um, you know, you hear a lot of stories where people sacrifice their, their selves to get somewhere and they're not happy when they get there. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want that. So so to end off this episode, mm-hmm. I have one last question that I like to ask a lot of people. Yeah. What is the funniest or worst things ever happened to you on set, on the stage? Oh, man. I'm sure I'm going to be laying in bed and be like, I should have said this. Because there's a million embarrassing things. Oh, man. Well, this is maybe... When you're doing stand-up, people will just be like, you suck. They'll just say that. <laughs> what do you and say they're to right, that? too. Like, <laughs> you're, you're, like, you're, you're like, you're actually right during this thing. No, um, that's actually never happened to me. What did? I'm sure. I'm sure there's... How PG do I have to keep it? Do I, I keep just, it PG? As long as there's no curse words. Okay. Um. <laughs> as long as there's no curse words. Okay. Okay. I generally mean that. <laughs> yeah. Um, be raunchy. I'm, I'm going to move that story over there. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. Uh, there, well, there was, there was one time where uh, I made the mistake of using marijuana on set. Not smart. And no. I didn't know my lines that well either for this. Again, this big mistakes, just not knowing your lines that well. That's just a stupid mistake. It is a stupid mistake, yeah. But... I think because I came from an improv background, I liked the pressure, so I'd leave it last minute, and then I'd leave it too last minute and be mm-hmm. like, oh, no, or I wouldn't have time all of a sudden. Right. So um, Funny how that works. Yeah, so stupid. I don't do that so much anymore. Uh, I'm pretty good about my lines now. but um, So I guess I was kind of cocky at the time. But I, uh, I, there was a marijuana pen, and a friend of mine was like, oh, they, you know, it was a really stressful day on set, and they're like, hey, maybe this will just like yep. chill you out a little bit. And um, so I was like, okay. And it turns out I just get really paranoid. Yeah. So I rolled out on set, and I was like, ooh, I was like an alien going into the set. And I... (laughs) He was trying to kill me. Yeah. (laughs) He was trying to kill me. And I was looking around, and I was like, oh, my God. And um, I remember when they said action, and I was like, and I didn't... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was an alien. I was like, I remember looking over... Um, believe it or not, after the fact, the scene went great. Mm. I got into a zone, but it was awful. It was a terrible experience, and I was really embarrassed. And um, 
I was like, man, nobody's ever going to hire me again. Like, what am I going to do? What was I thinking? And, um, but I think the thing is, I don't know, I'm not going to ask you this, but like anybody who's ever been in that state of mind, uh, you're, what you're thinking in your head is everyone knows. Everyone knows. So you're like this, but nobody, nobody knows probably. Really knows. They probably yeah. don't know. And you're like, everyone knows. Everyone knows. So you look suspicious. They're going to know. You look really suspicious. No one's going to know. They're going to know. They're going to know. <laughs> they, know. they know you're <laughs> So that's what I was going through, and I had to go through a whole scene like that. It was awful. It was a long scene. It was very dialogue heavy, and somehow I memorized my lines like last minute. That's pretty cool. So it all came back around. But I, I mean, I know that that's probably not as exciting as some. Well, of the, I mean, well, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a problem that people go through. Drugs, you know. Oh yeah. Giant, giant problem within the industry, right? Right. Well, I don't know how people make it from A to B. I, that's why I'm, I'm a pretty clean person now especially um just with kids and stuff so i you know but i don't know how people could manage both those that's that's a full-time job to be a drug addict <laughs> although i wouldn't consider my well, like marijuana that i wouldn't put that i wouldn't categorize that in the drug right, habit course. thing right but but like you know um, oh i can tell you maybe this would be a better example uh i i did a couple of elvis gigs where i dressed up as elvis for a birthday party and That's cool. I wouldn't say it was embarrassing, but I'm sure other people would have been embarrassed. <laughs> and I sang happy birthday to uh, some lucky little mama, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can find that on my Instagram. There's a video. Oh, really? There. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. What's your Instagram so, at? Uh, Austin Connor Green. I believe that's what it's called. You could tell I'm not very online savvy. And, well, that's another piece of advice to get everybody. It's like, be online. Have a presence. Have, have some presence sort of presence. Online. People no. want to find you. Mm-hmm. You have to be there for people to find you. It's true. It's true. It, something I've been learning is uh, you have to be everywhere so that way people can find you on anything. Mm-hmm. Granted, something I have learned, make sure to build your uh, audience on one platform then bring them to others. That's one right. thing That's one thing I, I have learned lately. Yeah. Uh, so I'm doing that with Facebook. By the way, if you want to follow us. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to follow us on Facebook. Um, yeah, that... Another thing I did terrible at was just not being having a great online presence because I'm not of that. I feel like I'm not of that generation, even though I kind of am. I just don't. I, I'm not tech savvy. It's, there's something you need now. It's yeah. not something you ever needed before. I think one day I'm just going to pay somebody to do it for me. That's also why I think I would do it. To me, it would be less of an investment. I'd be like, oh, I pay you $100 a month to like do this thing. The update stuff. It's like... I'm not interested I, in it. I can't. Right, right. Well, even that's like, well, I just, it doesn't, I can't do it. I can't be bothered. Mm-hmm. So I'll just have somebody else do it. And it, and it's, it really does pay for itself. Right. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. It's been fun. Cool. If you, nice talking to you. Yeah, man. This is, this has been uh, really fun. If you want to talk to uh, Austin or get to know him at all, want to follow him, his Instagram, Austin Connor Green. Mm-hmm. Or you can find him on, on uh, his Mimic band. You can find The Mimic. The Mimic. The Mimic Music, is it, on Facebook? If you look up The Mimic, Who's Your Daddy on YouTube, you can find our music video and you can find all of our stuff in there. So you can subscribe through that. Because if I tell you just to look up The Mimic, you're going to find a bunch of kitty videos. And you don't <laughs> want that. Um, the Mimic Music, oftentimes you can find, but you'd have to scroll through YouTube mm-hmm. a lot to get to it. Because we only have like 100 views here, 100 views there. Uh, but our music video has like a 1,500. So it's easier to find. If you want to find us, you can follow us anywhere. Just look up The Story. 
podcast or the story Corey Rosen. That's C O R Y R O S E N. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. With all that stuff, if you really want to help us, please be sure to leave a review. That is how we get upranked in the system. If you think other people should watch it, you can also share it to other people. Yes. That is another thing you can do. You can like, you can comment, you can do all sorts of things. If you want to support this podcast monetarily, we have stickers, we have uh, hoodies and t-shirts with the first 50 guests on the back. Those will be coming out in October, so be sure to pre-order yours so that way you actually get a sweatshirt or a shirt if you would like one. With all that said, we're going to have some awesome guests coming up soon. You can find that on our Instagram or Facebook. But today, we're done. We're so done. we'll see you guys later. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. We'll see you guys later. Bye, Thank guys. You. Thank you.